Good morning, Todd. Good morning. Oh my God, you know I live for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so appropriate for this episode too. Um, the, oh my um, God, my voice is so tired. I just, I just got back last night at 1.30 in the morning from, I, was, I, I did my concert on the, on the ship, on the, on the Ruby Princess. Was it last, and, you um, did a concert last night? I did a concert, no, I did a concert the day before yesterday, okay. but I flew all day yesterday from Alaska. Oh my God. And um, my voice is tired. I mean, we, I mean, I, 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 I sang like I wasn't gonna sing for the rest of my life that last night. I don't know why, because I got a, I got like two weeks until my next gig. So well, I, <laughs> you know, you gotta the, when you're in it, you're in it. And yeah, I mean, man, is... yeah. But that's what I did. I flew, I flew Alaska Airlines, and then, um, and then JetBlue, and, um, and then, yeah. Then you were here. And then I, then I'm here. And then you have to uh, use your bro- voice more. Bro- brought to you, brought to you by Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> yes, as most things are from Todd. Um, exactly. Especially and that did, little riff right what there. What are you? What? What are you up to? Well, you, as you know, I continue to do this um, Dancing with the Stars event, uh, and and I think this episode. This is the local chapter in uh, in Charleston. Yes, yeah, so it's South Carolina. So it's all South Carolina American Lung Association. They they have a basically a fundraiser to fundraise for lung disease, asthma, all their their causes and missions. And I am a celebrity dancer in in this event. And I think this is one of the last episodes. Um, there might be one more though, but before this will actually happen. Uh, oh June 17th. So I have been... Um, Where is it happening June 17th? Gilliard Auditorium in Charleston, South Carolina. So if you want to buy tickets, go definitely. I'll put the, the link in the show notes, but it, you can just Google American Lung Association Oxygen Ball, Charleston, South Carolina, um, and you will see me on there. You can vote for me, which is essentially, so none of this is based on talent. Thank God. <laughs> um, it, <laughs> I do have to learn the dance and I am. And, um, but it ultimately is how much money that you raise. And, and that's who takes home the, the big shiny disco ball at the end of and it. And it's so, all for charity. And it's all for charity. So it literally couldn't be a better cause if you have just a, a moment to go and, and donate any amount of money, or if you want to see it, you can buy a ticket. Uh, we also have sponsorship opportunities as well as live auction stuff. So reach this out is to so me. Cool. It is cool. I, I will tell you, Todd, I was a little bit um, crestfallen, if you will, um, after the, my last lesson because I thought for the past three weeks we had been learning our choreography. Then I realized that we would. T- in in a split second, my dancer, my dance partner starts teaching me a whole new thing. And I'm like, well, when do we put in the moves that we just, you know, did for the past few weeks? Like, oh, no, that's called social dancing. That's so if you ever meet somebody else that knows the rumba, you can do the rumba with them. And I almost threw up. Because I thought we so had half the song. This was not for the actual no, show. This was for, oh, God. That was just to teach me the rumba. So now I am learning all the actual choreography, but I, I can't. It has been so much fun. I'm super pumped. I can't wait for, I mean, I don't want to say I can't wait for it to be over, but I can't <laughs> wait for it to culminate. And actually see how much money we all raise. And, and it's been a really fun project so far. So that's awesome. You know, it's taken up some time, but I like it. It's, it's, 
you know, I get to be in your world a little bit of, of performance. Oh, yeah, performing. Luckily, I'm not well, singing anything, so. I know. Well, that's okay. But um, yeah. we got into, we, we have a guest today, Laura, that we got into her world. And yeah. I, I, uh, you, please, please mention who we are going to be speaking to oh, today. Oh, so we today, we, we got the pleasure of talking to Allie Rosen, who is a Charleston native as well. She has made her way up to New York now, and we will be visiting her very soon so that we can go experience New York City in all of its glory. But, um, yeah, we, we had a really good talk with her. Um, she's a, a chef, but she's had quite, amazing career amazing career but she gets so real about a lot of things that i think everybody is it's important to everybody about you know kitchen culture about dealing with infertility dealing with surrogacy i learned things i had no idea about as i usually do that surrogacy is actually illegal in certain states like that still blows my mind so yeah i'm I'm really excited for everybody to get to know her so i'm just going to go ahead and read a little bit about her um, okay. So that everybody knows, Allie Rosen is the, is an Emmy and James Beard Award-nominated host of Potluck with Allie Rosen on NYC Life and the author of the cookbook Bring It, as well as uh, Freezer Meals. She has been featured on shows, shows such as The Today Show, Dr. Oz, and NPR's All Things Considered and has written for publications including The Washington Post, Bon Appetit, and New York Magazine. She was a Forbes 30 under 30 and Thrillist said Allie had one of the coolest jobs in food. And I think we all agree. She's Agreed. originally from Charleston, but now lives in New York City with her husband, Daniel, three kids, Guy, Joy, and Ray, and rescue pup, Phoebe. So Aww. without further ado, introducing Allie Rosen. Allie Rosen. Well, good morning, Allie. Good morning. How Hello. Welcome to the show. Great. Thank you so much for having me. We're just we're so happy to have you. Yeah, we were just uh, all three of us kind of going down memory lane because we're all three from Charleston yes. and have various connections. I grew up with you and went to middle school with you directly. So I spent a good amount of time, whereas Todd is knows your sister. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, friends of friends of people of. Well, it's Charleston, you know, six exactly. degrees. But it's just crazy. <laughs> more that, like two degrees. I, yeah, there's two right. degrees. But it is just nuts that we're all three in three totally different places right now. You know, Todd's in L.A., you're in New York, I'm in Charleston. And, you know, that we can still get together and do something like this. It's pretty freaking awesome, the I think. The magic of technology. Right? COVID did something. It brought us Zoom. Exactly. Yeah, it gave us Zoom. Yeah, exactly. For better or for worse. Yeah, for better <laughs> or for worse. For tr- That is so true. Well, um, so I guess for everybody else that doesn't have two degrees yeah. of separation from you, you, just give us all a little quick recap about like your background, kind of growing up in Charleston and, and you know, whatever else you'd like to share as far as that goes. Yeah, the 10-second bio. Yes, I grew up in Charleston. Um, you know, my dad is a native Charlestonian, so he'll never leave. So, I, you know, I grew up in Charleston and loved it, but I, I wanted to work in media. So I, you know, ended up in New York, which I think is kind of where most people who do media, you know, are either New York or L.A., um, I went to boarding school outside of Boston. I went to college in Scotland. So, you know, my circuitous path from Charleston to New York. And I started my career in news production, quickly realized that was not for me. And 
moved into food. And for the last 10 years or so, I've been working in food media. I do a lot of writing. I host a show on public television here in New York, all about chefs and restaurants in the city. And I'm um, the author of two cookbooks. So my, yeah, my career has sort of kept me in New York, which I love, but I still do spend a lot of time in Charleston. My parents are still there. And now I have three kids. So I am, you know, like legally obligated to bring them to Charleston (laughs) as much as humanly possible. I don't see uh, (laughs) Robert and Susan allowing you to keep the, the kids no. away, but they definitely no. will never leave. Your dad is, no. the, for those that don't know out there, her dad is like the historian of Charleston. Yeah. He's written, how many books has he written now? Or at least papers. He's written like five books. And yeah, his, his book, A Short History of Charleston was just given an updated edition for those Ooh. who want to know about the history of Charleston. Yeah. So, but it's updated yes, now because we know more. <laughs> it's updated through Joe Riley. Yeah, well, you know, he wrote it in 1983 and it went like through the 70s. And then, of course, Charleston has changed so dramatically since then. It, you know, I think his publisher was like, oh, we might need to update sort of through modern times. So <laughs> now, um, 40 years later. Uh, yeah. That's crazy oh, that's to think hor- about, too, isn't it? Oh, that's horrifying. But yes. <laughs> I know. I'm like, wait, that makes me almost 40. But yes. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> I'm actually going to like, I'm going, when we get off this interview, I'm going to go download that book. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I want to know about it. It's very entertaining. It. it is. Yeah. And it's a short history of Charleston. So it's like, it's easy. And he's very funny. So he is very funny. Yeah. He's like, he now, he says now, because Charleston has become like Disneyland. He says he's like those characters when you walk around Disneyland, like on Main Street, you know, that are like, <laughs> he's like the lawyer, like with the bow tie and like the seersucker jacket. He's like, I'm just like a character, like he lives downtown, you know. Just walking the historic streets to I work, like that. having tourists like stop by. Yeah, so we should well, get Allie, <laughs> yeah. Allie, you you mentioned earlier that you um you did go to boarding school, and I'm I'm assuming this is after you left Abused, which I think Laura, you went there too. You went to Abused, um, which which was a magnet school that you both attended. But um, how was going away uh, for school? What was that experience like? What did it teach you? What did you learn? It was amazing. I mean, it's interesting. I had a guidance counselor and a teacher at Buse who basically were like, you should go to this meeting about boarding schools. Like I wasn't one of those kids whose families had gone, like I'd never really thought about boarding school, Which but um, Mrs. Leff. Obviously. Really? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. She was like, go to this meeting. And I was like, all right. And I went and I was like, this seems amazing. Like you get to live at school and I applied and I think my parents were like, oh, she won't get in. So like, we'll let her apply and that'll just be the end of that. And, and then I got in and I, I, yeah, I still sort of, I mean, we were talking before, like, I, I can't believe they actually let me go. Like I was just turned 14 and was like, all right, I'm going to go off on my own. But it was amazing for me because, you know, there were people from all over the world, people of different backgrounds in Charleston. I feel like, I mean, and I also didn't quite realize like how lucky to go to a magnet school in Charleston Mm -hmm. because we actually, uh, abuse was, is is to this day, the most diverse schooling environment I've ever been in. So, you know, this sort of stereotype about the South, I always found really, I was like, um, have you seen, like now it's like my son is in public school in New York. Yeah. And I'm like, um, okay, sure. Like his school is less diverse than where I went to school, but you know, it was more of the like the geographic diversity of people and kids that had all grown up in different ways. And so that was really fascinating. And just having to take care of yourself from a young age was really, you know, I think a certain type of kid is ready for that. And I, I really was. And, you know, my sister, as you know, Todd knows, is a very big personality. 
And so, you know, I, in Charleston and, um, you know, so she had, you know, she was at Ashley Hall, which is another school. And so I don't know, I kind of wanted to carve out my own place. So I, I loved, I loved going to boarding school. It was, it, it opened, it kind of opened the whole world to me in a way that I think, you know, neither, my parents weren't big travelers. We would visit my mom's family. Mm-hmm. You know, she was from New England. So, I mean, you know, I, I really hadn't met people from a lot of other places outside of sort of where my mom was from in Rhode Island and in Charleston. So yeah, that for me was kind of the eye opening. And it's the thing that made me want to go to college abroad. Yeah. I was just like, I, I want, I want to see more and, you know, travel more. And I, I just, I hadn't been anywhere. So I was just really, you know, I think when I was younger, I just really was like ready to see things. You caught the bug a little bit. And I think it I was kind of bug, like with yeah. us going to, to Bust, we were, we did have that diversity and then we would go outside of that and like, you know, I had my lemonade stand. We, you know, would, we would stomp all over downtown Charleston. You're like, ugh, like everybody's kind of really into Confederate flags. Like, shouldn't we, like, I'm not a fan. move away from that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't know we all went to magnet schools because I went to Charleston County School of the Arts, which we were the first graduating mm. class. So that was a very diverse school as well. But I didn't know that about abuse. Would you, would you um, uh, recommend like later in life, your children going to boarding school? Would you be cool with that? Yes. I mean, it's interesting. My son is in a magnet school now. So obviously that had a huge influence on me. I mean, I I just, I think it's, you know, I think being around other kids that are smart and motivated and excited to be at school is a huge difference to a lot of other people's experiences, you know, like Mm -hmm. all the nerds are in one place. So therefore you have everybody (laughs) smart together. And so, you know, so he's there now he's, I mean, he's at a magnet school in New York, but I, you know, with boarding school, I loved it. It's not for everyone. So I, I'm, I would let my kids go if it's what they wanted. I certainly, I've seen, you know, the kids whose parents pushed them all, you know, got ended up, they all ended up getting kicked out for something. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> like, that's they you were have to want there to reason. be there. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't care why I'm here. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to really, really want to be there. So, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that my parents did for me is I was sort of raised with this idea of, you can be whoever you want to be and you have to work. My parents worked their tails off. I mean, they, you know, never sort of handed anything to us. You know, like I worked through college as a bartender for like, you know, my parents were very generous and paid for college, but, you know, I also worked as a bartender. I mean, they, they were very much of the, like, if you work hard, you can do anything that you want and we are going to support you kind of in whatever direction that, wants to be so I don't know I think I was sort of like delusional as a younger person of like I can be anything yeah you know? I, and then you as know, you get older you're like oh, oh wow I, I have the balls that I had no I, I think that like both <laughs> you and I had a and I think that's why we were drawn together so we had a very similar kind of yeah. parents so we, we've lived right yeah, around you the, also have great parents we, we, yeah. we lived right around the corner from each other so we would do study dates kind of like after school at your house and they worked as hard as they possibly could to get what they that, that not they didn't expect things to be handed to them. And I think they really blessed us yeah. by passing that down because I'm sure Annie experienced probably going to Ashley Hall. There were some people that were not in the same situation. Yes. Ashley Hall Ashley Hall for those listening is an all girls all girls school, correct? Yes, it's a private all girls. That Barbara Bush went to, so that gives you sort of the the yes. 
vibe of it. <laughs> I did a I did a play I did a play there once. <laughs> they brought me over and I did Jane Eyre. Someone <laughs> dropped out at the last minute and I literally went on stage. I had two rehearsals and went on stage with the book in my hand and did the whole play as Rochester. Oh it was at Ashley Hall. I just remember that. I was about to say, you just asked me how I didn't remember something earlier. It's like, it's the it's, depths of I think your brain. I know. I'm turning 40 this year. I'm a little like, oh my God, what is happening to my memory? Yeah. This is how childhood memories go, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, this is bringing back. It's all just Ashley rushing Hall. into our heads. Oh my yeah. God. So, so after you went to um, boarding school, you just mentioned you ended up going to college in Scotland. Wasn't that the same, what was it, uh, where Prince Andrew went? St. Andrews. Or did I just make uh, that up? Thankfully not Prince, and Prince William. No, Prince no, William. it is. Yeah, <laughs> is it? I uh, believe Prince yes. Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I was like, not Prince Andrew, thankfully. <laughs> that would <laughs> definitely be um, very weird. Yeah. Epstein. <laughs> yes, I was there at the same time as Prince William. Yeah, my dad, if my dad were on, he would insist that I tell you about, you know, that I, I directed a play that I didn't cast Kate Middleton in. He's still very upset about that because he thinks that, he could have been friends with, uh, you know, the queen. That's that's his main. Oh man, you heard it here, folks. But then he wouldn't be able to, be able to <laughs> hang out and be a character yeah. on the streets of Charleston. So it's like, exactly. Yeah, then Charleston would suffer. Yeah, you did this for Charleston. Yeah, this is the right thing. Yeah, I mean, she can't sing, so that's really her problem, not mine. But um, yeah, I went to St. Andrews. I loved it. it you know, it, it, <laughs> it's just for everybody. She literally just made the best comment ever that it was not. <laughs> your fault that you didn't cast Kate Middleton because she couldn't sing. Like, what are you supposed to do? It is what it is. (laughs) It is what it is. Exactly. Yes. She, she can't sing. Sorry. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Lovely person. I'm sure she'll make an excellent queen. She cannot sing. Um, (laughs) Yes. I love St. Andrews. You know, it's, it's also a very historic town. And so I, it kind of had Charleston vibes for me, even though obviously like a very different time. I mean, St. Andrews, I think, was founded like 700 years ago. I mean, so a lot of the building, I mean, it's just, but it has a lot of that historic sense. So I felt very at home there because it did sort of remind me of like a European version of Scotland, of, of Charleston. And, and I, I loved it there. I mean, it was really, it was really fascinating. It was kind of the same thing of like, you know, when I was younger and not that I don't want to meet new people now, I'm like, oh, it's making me sound old, but I'm young. I really love seeing new things. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, it was fascinating for me to get to see, you know, at the time I wanted to work in news. So I studied international relations and it was just fascinating to hear, to, you know, study history and politics kind of from a whole other vantage point. You know, I took a class on um, like religious extremism at one point and I was like, oh, we're going to learn about like the Middle East and whatever. And it was like, there like a third of the semester was on the U.S. You know, really? and I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, oh, right. Like we're a problem. people view us as crazy, you know, yeah. like, wow. Well, probably um, especially that area. I mean, like England, Scotland, they're like, you are the people right. that, that got right. away. Right, totally. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, so it's just, it's it, it was really eye-opening for me and it was a great experience to kind of be able to have other perspectives, you know, which is why I wanted to go away. Yeah. I mean, my poor parents at that point, I was like, no, I want to go to Scotland. They're like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> you know, do you even like us? Like, what you- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's like, um, yeah. I mean, I always say like, I, I felt secure enough in my relationships with my family to go that far away. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't cause I didn't like them. It was like, Oh, I know they'll be here when I come back, you know, right. I think is, 
a major distinction that I must make. Yes. And it wasn't right. to get away it from wasn't them. Exactly. But yeah, no, exactly. You, said you, yeah. You, you just said you always wanted to, you always wanted to do news. What drew you towards um, media and journalism? And do you think it was ultimately a good experience? What did you learn from it? How did you grow? Yeah, I mean, media, I'm not sure I would like recommend media as a career path. It's kind of one of those, I mean, I'm sure you feel this way about acting. It's like, you have to sort of recognize that there's nothing else you could do. It, like, if you could do anything else, do it, because do it. it's a horrible yep. career path. We were talking um, about this with know, restaurants, too, that we all right. chose, like, the hardest things to do right. ever. Yeah, we are in the three worst industries for your mental health, so that's great. Um but yeah, you know, I, I always loved food. I mean, which is why I came back to it, but I didn't want to work in restaurants. And actually, you know, and actually another great thing about where we went to middle school, we had this like mentor program and I followed um, a restaurateur who owned Snobs and a bunch of other great restaurants in Charleston, you know, when I was in eighth grade. And the thing I took away from that was like, oh, I love food and restaurants. Like, I, I don't want this lifestyle. You know, this isn't for me. So, you know, I always wanted to tell stories and do media and so that really became my focus. And, you know, I had an internship in college at ABC News, and I just really thought like that was the direction I wanted to go in. And I, I, I enjoy the storytelling piece of it so much. Um, you know, I think that you can take what's happening in the world and humanize it. I mean, I think that like news is so hard to convey in that way to make people really feel like they're there. So I, I found it fascinating. But I also you know, working my way up in news. I worked for Nightly News, sort of behind the scenes as a production assistant. And then I worked for a local news channel in New York called New York One as an on-air reporter. And, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a vicious industry and you're covering sort of the worst things that are happening in the world. I mean, I had a story once when I was working at New York One that was basically like, you know, a hit and run on an elderly couple that were like bringing cans of soup to their church for Christmas Eve. And I, like, I had to cover that and go oh like gosh. talk to their kids. And yeah, I just was like, at a certain point, I was like, I don't want to spend every day of my life. Cover-. You know, for some people that is like the, the news junkies are so into it. And, and it really, you know, made me sort of see that like, okay, the thing that I love about journalism is telling stories. I love hearing other people's stories, how they came to where they are. I love that piece of it. I love, I always loved writing and sort of finding the right way to kind of put a story together. But I wasn't, I just felt like I don't love this as much as other people who are yeah. around me do. And they are going to fight tooth and nail to get to where they want to be. And I'm just not, I'm just never going to want, want this as much as they do. So, so it wasn't for me, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot about writing and sort of keeping, you know, stories together. And so I, it, it was great experience for me. I mean, certainly, like, if you have any interest in writing, working in news production at all, because the time, you know, you have to keep things to such a specific time. You have mm-hmm. to figure out how to match it with a video. I mean, it's, it's, it's the best education you can possibly have for any type of writing, really. But it's kind um, of, so I it felt like it me. was kind of constrictive, you know, like it's, I mean, ultimately I ended up going into law school. So talk about restrictive, but like, I remember taking broadcast news, like, you know, as a class and being like, every time I would write something out, my teacher would be like, see, you have way too many words in here. Uh, We don't want to hear anything, but the exact, like the facts, the facts, the facts, the facts. And I was like, well, so I'm just like basically regurgitating facts. Like that no. just, and for know. two minutes and 26 seconds, yes. you know, you have to like, 
Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. So, well, you yeah. did at least, I mean, I think one of the things that, um, you know, that I know that you did was at one point work with Brian Williams. Yeah. And so I know he eventually suggested that you go try local news. So what was it kind of like? How, first of all, how did you end up having this kind of personal relationship enough with Brian Williams for him to suggest a career move? But also, why do you think that he kind of pushed you that way? And, and why didn't you end up doing that? I love Brian Williams. I I know that his reputation suffered in later years. Oh, the helicopter um, incident. But he, but... yes, but um, it could but have been he worse. could have been way worse. And he, you know, did well for it at MSNBC. Yeah. But I, you know, he's one of the few bosses, and I think I was really spoiled because that was like my first real job, and I sort of didn't realize that all bosses are not like. Brian Williams, who's like really the best boss you could have. I mean, he used to do, you know, he used to like take the production assistants out to dinner and he would have this like, he would call it his cone of silence where we could all just bitch to him about everything that was happening and he would not reveal his sources and he would try to make everything better. You know, he treated everyone the same and it certainly had a huge impact for me, you know, when I'm on a set, when I'm working with other people. I mean, I, I aim to be just like him in that way of he included everybody. He had his own office, but he still sat out like in the news bullpen with everyone, like unless he was on like an important call or something. I mean, he was part of the team in a way that I don't think I've ever seen from anyone else at that stature, you know, in 2008, when sort of all budgets were getting cut, obviously, um, every other show at NBC had their Christmas parties canceled. I mean, he paid out of pocket to have all of us have a Christmas party, you know, just like a great, great man and um, a great boss. And so we talked a lot about my career, which sort of it sounds ridiculous to be like, I was like 22. And he was helping me and he's the star of the show. But he was like that with everyone. I mean, and, and the people the people that worked with me as production assistants at that time, I mean, one of them is Garrett Hake, who's now on the air at MSNBC. One of them, Casey Dolan, is now like one of the head producers for MSNBC. I mean, she, he just, you know, he sort of created um, Kamasi Aaron, who now is a local news anchor in um, San Francisco. I mean, he just sort of made everybody, again, like we were talking about earlier, made everybody believe that they could be whatever they wanted to be and move up as far as they wanted to go. and that kind of encouragement when you're at that age from somebody who is so successful and has no need to treat people that way, you know, like he could be a total jerk to everyone as so many news anchors are, and it wouldn't affect him one bit. So he actually got me the job at New York one. He called, I was doing a lot of pieces online for nightly news. This was kind of like, Ooh, we're going to do things just for online, you know? And I, I had been like, Oh, I want to do this. And I sort of pitched it. And so I was doing a lot of online pieces. And of course, there was no budget for it. So it was like, well, you can keep doing your job and do these extra things and then not move up because there's no actual job to move up to for you. You know, people who came in as on air talent. I mean, news is a very weird um, broadcast news has a really strange hierarchy of like, you know, you work at local stations, then you move up. And so you can't sort of do it from within. And so I was doing these online pieces and there was kind of nowhere within NBC for me to go. And so he had worked with the news director at New York One when he was a reporter like in Connecticut and he called him and got me an interview for a job. And so, you know, it's 
again, we were talking about like things not being handed to you. Like I, I had no connections in media, obviously, like my parents were lawyers in Charleston. You know, yeah. I, I, I certainly had nothing handed to me, but I have to say like, you know, Brian Williams went out of his way to get me a job, which I think is just a huge testament. It's to incredible. Him. Yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah. I mean, it just, you know, he, and I think it, it, it really solidified for me, like when I am the boss of people, how I want to behave because yeah. it just changed my whole life, you know, that he was sort of willing, like I could have toiled away as a production assistant for the next five years yeah. because I, I had no connections and I had no, you know, it just, yeah. not that there's anything bad about being a production. No, assistant. no, no, um, we are not. We've all done it. <laughs> Yeah, but um, but yes, yeah, I mean, so have. I worked at New York One. Yeah, we've all done <laughs> that. Yeah, so um, so I worked at New York One, and I I learned a lot. I mean, basically, as a local news reporter, you are like out shooting things, editing them, talking to people on the street, doing everything yourself. I mean, it was really, but yeah, the environment there. You know, basically, anyone who works in local news, they don't want to be there, so they will murder you to get one inch over you, you know, it just, I found it to be a very difficult environment for me, not to make myself sound insane, but so I, I, I moved to India for a year and worked on a documentary in that. Um, and the documentary and was I about domestic had, violence, correct? Yes, I, I got an opportunity to work on a, a documentary. My, my now husband was going to go there for his job. And so I found a role working with a domestic violence organization to do a documentary for them that they could use in their fundraising um, and their training. Out? Yeah, how did that? Friends of friends, you know, it was like one of those things where I was like, I'm moving to India now. Who can I talk to and who, where can I be useful? And where can I put my background to good use? But I knew I didn't want to stay in news anymore, but I wanted to keep telling stories. So, you know, it was sort of the right place at the right time. And that was really fascinating. And when I came back from India, I sort of, you know, I'd wanted to do something in food for a long time, and I applied to every job I sort of could find, and I ended up getting a job at a website that was doing food content. And I was just lucky because at that time in food, nobody was doing videos on their own. So, like, they were trying to find a food person who also could shoot and edit and be on camera mm. and like do all of the stuff that, you know, really only people in news were learning how to do. Yeah. So, I mean, if this were like 10 years later, I would have never gotten that job wow. because now, I mean, everybody and their mother can make food videos. But at the time it was like, they were interviewing like, you know, an associate producer, producer for the Rachel Ray show. Like, I mean, that person doesn't know how to shoot and edit and do everything themselves. So Anyway, yeah, I sort of like tumbled into that job. So yes, no, my 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 path has been circuitous for sure. Well, for I mean, sure, you know. I mean that that actually kind of you know, and we'll definitely get to to all of your you know kind of experiences with with food from then on. But it, it does sound like you kind of have this winding path to where you are now that feels kind of similar to my own of of that I, you know, started out with journalism, then I'm like, I'm just not feeling it. I want to go, but, you know, yeah. but I still love media. So I'm going to go to law school and learn how to do intellectual property and help people in media and then get out of there. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I really just like want to own a restaurant. <laughs> and, and so I kind of yeah. wonder, you know, if you, while you were doing this, um, did you ever kind of have a feeling like I'm doing this like in this moment, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to or and not because I want to. Or did you feel like you were where you were supposed to be at each of those moments? It's so hard to know, like the sliding doors versions of your life, you know, where if you hadn't, you know, if I had worked for the Today Show instead of Nightly News, you know, like what would you know, what would my path have been? You know, I, I think 
I learned so much from every like, things that I learned, even not in the career that I have now. I learned how to write at Nightly News. I mean, the senior producers would rip scripts apart, sit down and talk to me, you know, and they had time, like an evening news show where it's just 30 minutes, unlike people sort of at, you know, like if, if you're at a 24 hour news station, like that's a different vibe. Like people had time to teach and to be mentors. And so, I mean, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Same with New York One, like it was a really hard experience for me, but I was shooting a story every single day, you know, like I, the amount of learning and and my comfort with like going up to people and saying things and asserting myself. I mean, I, I learned so much from that and and living in India, I mean, working, I mean, working in a slum in India certainly opens your eyes to what other people's lives are. And, and in many ways, just sort of the reality of the like people live in all different circumstances and they find like happy, interesting, fulfilling lives no matter where they are. I mean, that was kind of the amazing thing for me about my time in India is like, I really spent a lot of time with people who either are like exalted as like, oh, these like poor, precious people who are living in these difficult circumstances or like, oh my God, I could never live like that. And then you spend time with people who live in a slum and like, they have boyfriend troubles and yeah. you know, struggles with their weight and they're angry at their friend, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, everybody's just kind of living the same drama wherever you are. So yeah. I, you know, I feel like by the time I sort of was able to like meld my love of storytelling and food, like, yes, that was the right career path for me. And maybe I could have found that earlier. Um, but I don't, I don't think that it was like a waste of time or, you know, not the right path at any given moment, because at every moment I sort of thought I was, in the right place doing the right thing. And then I feel lucky that like, I am not a person, you know, my parents were of the generation of like, you stay at a company and you work hard. And I mean, they were like shocked when I left NBC, you know, mm -hmm. they were like, you're at NBC, like everyone knows what that is, you know? And I was like, well, um, you know, work your way up. But of course in 2008, like I saw people who'd had jobs there for 30 or 40 years getting fired. Wow. So to me it was like, oh, well there's no loyalty anyway. So you might as well. Yeah move Savage. forward you know when you can yeah, yeah. so I, I I'm happy that I didn't like stay anywhere too long that wasn't the right fit but I also think I needed that path and I learned a lot so I don't know I mean I think you know people who like know what they want yeah and it's like it's not like you don't use your law degree in everything that you do now exactly. you know yeah. you may not be practicing sort of in a way that you expected to, but you end up using it in a different way. So I, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, I think now people sort of see so, so much success straight out of the gate and there's people who like do things so young and that's great. But I, I think also like there's nothing wrong with sort of checking things out and being also yeah. like your career is still evolving always yeah. as you get older. Like, I don't think that this is like the last job I will ever have, you know, that I can't mm -hmm. evolve from this. Like, I don't know. So yeah, it's like we used to sort of think that we reached a certain age and it's like, that's the career that you're in. And I don't know, millennials have had such a weird go of the workforce that we're kind of like, yeah, we can do anything. You're both good and bad, you know? <laughs> and we'll be right back after a few words from our sponsors.
Eternus is all about you. Eternus Life Coaching is all about partnering with clients in a thought-provoking and creative process that inspires them to maximize their personal and professional potential. Eternus believes in making your dreams and goals a reality, and their coaches know just how to do that. Whether you're just starting out or looking to bolster your current transformation, they have you covered. Leveraged by the International Coaching Federation and founded by Chris Wingator, Eternus coaches develop and maintain an effective coaching plan with attainable results. Eternus offers flexible plans and rates to allow all people to benefit from this rewarding creative process. So don't hesitate. If you want to unlock your full potential, begin your journey with Eternus Coaching today. Visit www.eternuslife.com and let Eternus help you manage progress and maintain accountability in achieving your highest potential. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Eternus Life. So fast forward, you're, you're now a chef, you have several cookbooks, you have digital shows on several networks, you've been guests on amazing shows like the Today Show and Dr. Oz and, and the list goes on and on. But what made you interested in food in the beginning and cooking to begin with? And what brought you back to it? Um, my mom hates when I say this, but my mom is not a great cook. Um, so I learned to cook at a very young age. Um, no, I mean, we were lucky, you know, we had, you know, we, we always had good food and my grandmother was a great cook and I just loved food. I loved cookbooks. You know, I actually like, I wrote recipes when I was really young. Like, I mean, this to me is the difference between like the Pulitzer prize winning post and courier local paper of today versus when I was a kid, like there was like a series about like me writing recipes in the post and courier when I was like nine. So, I mean, it's, that was when I was know. getting the cover of the phone book. We were running this town, right. Allie. Exactly. We, were like, we were doing it. Yeah. Um, right. And yeah, cause you drew that you like won a contest. Yes. Yeah. No, was, not to make I this all about that. me, but, um, when we were, no, but I mean, that just came like the recesses of my memory. Like it was, and it was like a, marsh or something yeah yeah we were in art we were miss delamasa's art class and we were like forced to enter this contest and make a a photo a a painting of what represented charleston and i basically took like two or three different magazine covers and just like put them together and they came into the classroom and like somebody in this room won the prize and we're all like oh my god who is it who is it and then they're like it's you and I was like I no like I don't win anything what are you talking about I'm not like why am I already thinking I don't win anything but you know sounds I mean, like y'all were both running the town we were we were just we peaked yeah, we were doing it. Yeah, my recipes and yeah, but that's like, so you know, funny. I don't. Like I, 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 I've got. I want. I hope they have some kind of digital copy of that because I would love I'll to send go you back. A, oh, my mother made like a silver. Like I have. I have it. I have it in my office. Oh Where my gosh! Is. I um, need a picture right after this because that's yeah, awesome. Send it to you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I always loved food. I just never. I didn't want to be a chef in a restaurant. You know, I always saw myself as somebody. I. I who wanted to have a family and, you know, it just, it just didn't feel like a lifestyle that I could do. And I I don't know kind of how, as a young person, I was like, Oh, well, this just, I can't do this, but I, I don't know. I knew my boundaries at a young age. Mm -hmm. So I, I always sort of thought like, Oh, I wish I could do food, but like, there's no area 
for me. And I, I didn't really, you know, my, my, you know, shockingly, my mom didn't subscribe to any food magazines. We didn't watch like Julia Child, you know, all these stories that like food writers have. Yeah. Like, oh, I grew up watching Jacques Pepin. I got gourmet magazine every month. And, you know, I have none of that. So I didn't really know that was a career path. Um, so I never thought that I could like turn my love of food into something where I could also make money. I mean, that just like never occurred to me really until I saw this job and I was like, oh, I can, I can do these, I can do both of these things. You so know? what and job I, was that I exactly? I was at a website called the daily meal, which I okay. don't recommend. Um, <laughs> it was, it was really, don't go there guys. You know, yeah. I mean, it's fine. I mean, you know, it was like, it, you know, it's like a content farm. I mean, I was doing 10 videos a week by myself, like, which can, wow. I think, give you the sense of the quality of the product. Um, but it was great because I met, you know, I was like churning through interviews. So I met a ton of people and it really solidified for me that that was what I wanted to do. Um, that, you know, food that I could talk about food all day and never get bored, you know, which, was not how I'd felt about news. Like I love news. I'm still, you know, I, I love reading news, but I didn't have that same, like, Oh my God, you know, like the day that that plane crashed into the Hudson river, like captain Sully or whatever, like the joy on people's face in a newsroom that like they get to just like run to something happening. Cause like not that much happens in New York, you know, for like a national newscast. And I was like, I don't need to go see this. Like I'm, I'll stay behind and like, listen to the, you know, police blotter or whatever, you know, and yeah. it was like, those were the things where I was like, maybe this isn't for me. Um, whereas with food, it was like, oh, I could legitimately think about this every minute of every day for the rest of my life and be thrilled and never get bored of it. So that kind of it, it all sort of came together with that job that like, OK, I'm going to, you know, food. There is a way for me to sort of have a career within food without being a chef in a restaurant, which, you know, I think is kind of the what people think of if you have a career in food. You yeah. either have to want to own a restaurant, which as Laura can certainly say is I, not a picnic. It, uh, no, <laughs> no, it's not. I'm not even yeah. sure if it was, which one would be harder uh, being the chef in the restaurant or yeah. the owner who has to hear from everybody about everybody. all of it. Um, it it's yeah. certainly a very, I, I can totally understand why that would kind of turn you off because it's, it's, it's almost like a lot of people compare kitchens to like a pirate ship. Like it's just, it is like, yes. it's fast, it's crazy. It's, you know, all hands on deck at all times. Like language is not being withheld. There is just everything going on. And so it is, yeah. does kind of feel like, you know, I know that you've, you've mentioned this a few times that, that, that it almost feels like there's not as much of a place for, for women in, in that area as well. Cause it seems so Very intense hard. and it's hard. Yeah. To any woman that you know who is a chef, like, you know, give them extra kudos because I mean, it is just, it is a hard environment for anyone. And then you add, you know, the misogyny and sort of stress level and the sort of expectation of culture, which is that you can yell at anyone, you know, the, the like the bro -y culture around restaurants sort of. You but know, here's the, here's the gag. Like, what about, okay, you talk about the misogyny, of course. Yes, but did, for years, for years in the 50s, they were saying, women, stay in the kitchen. <laughs> so when you, you go oh, to the so kitchen, ironic. they're screaming at you in the kitchen. Shocking. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what's funny. Like, the professional chefs were men. You know, it was like, professional chefs were only men. I mean, listen, like, the new show, I mean, HBO Max now has a show about Julia Child where it really gets into this, you know, where it was like, 
the, you know, like restaurant chefs and home chefs were two totally different like enterprises, you know, and now, now of course I think people take cooking more seriously. So that quality level, you know, there's a lot of home cooks who could certainly run their own restaurant, you know, and are good enough to do that. But, um, you know, it's not the career that they want, but the, and the information that we have about cooking, um, you know, the level of knowledge that you can gain as a home cook is just so different now than it ever was. But yes, I mean, I, I think, you know, chef, I think it's, listen, like we can all have dreams and we also have to recognize like what are our own limitations. And for me that, I, you know, I worked in college, you know, I've worked in restaurants um, and I just was like, I don't see myself being happy in an environment like this. Like it's just, it's a very difficult environment that attracts all types of wonderful people. Um, but, you know, it's well, not... I mean, that's what I was kind of wanted, wanted to know, though. Like, where are some of the areas that you think... I mean, obviously, we, we've kind of did a synopsis of why it's not great and uh, to be a yeah. woman in, the, in that industry. But where do you think, like, that we could make the most kind of change and how how we could make it more bring women and minorities and 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 make it a my more diverse and and accepting environment like how, how do you think that that might be uh something we can even accomplish well it's a few things i mean i think it starts from the top it starts with fundra- you know the type of people that are given money i mean it all sort of flows down from the money and a lot of women who i know who've wanted to run their own restaurants when they go to investors you know, many of the investors in restaurants are men. They are men that like a certain type of restaurant. And so it's very hard to get funding for more female-driven restaurants. So that, I think, is a big piece of it. And then I think it also starts with kitchen culture. You know, I think that I know a lot of male chefs now who have really insisted on changing that culture in their kitchen. And I think, you know, there are a lot of women executive chefs who have had sort of more women and diverse people in their kitchens and helping with that. And and I think it's just the newer generation of people. Like a lot of the women chefs from previous generations were so trained in that environment and so had to project a toughness to prove themselves that they also behaved in those ways. So I Mm -hmm. think it, I think it's really changing. I think people talk about it a lot more. I, I think it's, you know, the sense of people standing up for themselves. The other problem with a lot of kitchen culture is a lot of sort of sous chefs, dishwashers, um, people at the lower end of the hierarchy are often immigrants. They often don't speak English. So I think that there is a fear in speaking up. Um, So I think it's important for people at the top at all levels to sort of, because I mean, if you're having a plate thrown at your head, but you also don't have your green card, like, what are you going to do? I mean, what are you supposed to do about that? You know, so it's, um, you know, investors and and we have to stop glorifying like the bad boy chef, you know, yeah. like, I I think, listen, like I was a huge admirer of Tony Bourdain. You know, he was certainly after he stopped drinking, like one of the sweetest men you could imagine. But I mean, the way that he describes kitchen culture, you know, and kitchen confidential and a lot of the other writing that he did, I mean, was the norm. It was not. Um, it was not unusual. And, and I think we've, we've celebrated that, you know, yeah. we, we've sort of been like, that's so cool and rock and roll. And Gordon Ramsay cool yelling roll. at, you know, everybody in the kitchen. Like, how he still has a show. I mean, and again, Gordon Ramsay in person is among the nicest human beings on the planet, which is so ironic. 
But I mean, the fact that we still have shows of chefs yelling at people and that that is like a fun thing. Like that's what we think of when we think of a chef is it's ludicrous. I mean, we don't allow that in any other industry. Yeah. You know, we just, if there's something about restaurants and chefs and the high pressure of it mm -hmm. that we've sort of allowed this, you know, mysteries to continue. And, but I think it's changing. I mean, it really, it's start, I mean, slowly changing, but yeah, I think it's just, you know, cultural acceptance of it really has to shift. And I mean, I think you just hit on a lot of important aspects as, as a restaurant owner. I can, I can tell you there's, I, we've probably had, I can count on one hand how many women that we've had in the kitchen. And, it, yeah. you know, one of them is currently with us and she is, um, Hispanic and she does not speak English very well, but she's wonderful. She loves my husky, so we bond over that. But you know, it's it. I think that yeah. there's like a, a fear of women yeah. to get into that unless they're like act butch or they seem like you know like that they can handle it. I think almost the fact that she doesn't understand what most people are saying helps <laughs> her with it because she's just like oh, right. these idiots, like, like let it roll whatever, off. who cares? Yeah. But um. No, I just think that 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 is a really good point. Like, I never really thought about that, like the machismo of being a chef yeah. that you have to have like this presence. Yeah. And I think that the lifestyle piece of it is, you know, harder for anybody who wants to have kids, you know, like the you work every night, you work on weekends, whenever it's a holiday, like that's your busiest time. I mean, I, I think that that so that's like the piece of it that cannot be resolved because that just is, you know, like people mm -hmm. want to go to restaurants on Saturday night. They're not going to come on a Wednesday afternoon because like, that's nicer for you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that there though. are some, <laughs> I know, wouldn't that be nice? Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, so I, I, I certainly know a lot of women who have gone into catering or have gone into recipe development or journalism because they just say like the lifestyle does not work. Um, and, I, you know, that's not solvable. And, and that's the same for anybody. I mean, I'm sure Todd, for you, like theater, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, people that I know who work in theater and, you know, try to have little kids like, I mean, like, how do you do that? Yeah. So, you know, it's there are certain jobs where it's like, this is the job. But um, but the the culture, I think, can change. Ali, I have a two part question for you. Um, what, what have been the most rewarding parts of cooking in the media and what have been the most frustrating parts? Kind of outside of the kitchen culture, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Outside the kitchen. Yeah. Outside of the kitchen culture. No, I mean, rewarding. I mean, kitchen honestly, for me, it's own thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Which I am thankfully, you know, I mean, when, when a member of the media shows up, everyone. Don't so nice. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. 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 So I, I see the nicest side of chefs. Um, no, I would say that the rewarding thing is like my my job is to learn. I mean, my my show is really I stay, you know, if I it's like I ask chefs that I admire to teach me how to make things that I want to learn how to make. Like that is so rewarding that every day I just get to learn. And then beyond that, job. I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a great it's a great <laughs> job. Um and you know with the cookbooks, I mean, the thing that has been just it is so amazing to me. Like, I, I mean, I'm very active on social media and I, you know, I get Instagram DMs from people all the time being like, you know, I made this recipe and it helped me in this way, you know, because I mean, my books, one is about bringing food to parties and the other is about freezing food and kind of prepping ahead. And so the goal is to bring try it. to help people <laughs> and that, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, bring it and modern freezer meals. But yeah, you know, it it's so rewarding to do something that like... I'm not a doctor. I'm not saving anybody's life. You know, I'm not 
you know, doing anything that's like life changing, but, you know, finding like being a person where it's like someone knows that like the recipes will work, they will be easy. Like, I, I promise I will not add a step in there that is not necessary and make it harder for you. Like, I like being a person that there, you know, people can come mm-hmm. to for that kind of ease in their life. So I, that is very rewarding. Um, I think the most frustrating part is just sort of the fickleness of it. You know, the somebody starts a TikTok where they make sort of weird food and then suddenly they get, you know, they don't really know how to cook. They're giving people bad advice. I mean, you know, we're seeing this right now. Yeah, three million people have watched it, but it's not good. Right. I mean, you know, Bon Appetit is currently having this issue with, um, you know, like botulism in some of their videos with a chef that, you know, probably should be fired over that. And he's not going to be fired because he's very popular, you know, like those kind of things I find infuriating, you know, the, the cookbook deals and the whatever, you know, I mean, I once interviewed like one of the real housewives of New Jersey about her cookbook. And it was very clear within like two minutes that she had not written the cookbook. She doesn't really know how to cook. Like, you know, that kind of stuff is very depressing when you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like I'm working my tail off of this and you're just writing a New York times best-selling yeah. cookbook that won't work. You know, people are going to make the recipes and think like, oh, I must have oh messed gosh. this up when actually it's just the recipe was Todd, really bad. I'm going to ask. I, I, I'm dying right now. Um, where, where I, <laughs> oh, my God. Is it Teresa? Because <laughs> that cookbook. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, tr- okay, yes. I have that cookbook. Have you tried? And, and, See? I, and Teresa yeah. Have you tried to make something from it? <laughs> no, it it's doesn't... not. It's not the beat. And it, and and you know, she, you know, God bless her. New York Times best-selling author. She says it in every interview. Um, and she yeah. is right. Like let's let's be real. Like let's not take it from people her. People yeah. bought that book. And you know, if I was in a literary agent and I was a cookbook editor, like my God, I would buy that book. You know, like <laughs> why not? But it's it's just frustrating when you're like, oh, I am good at my job. And right. some people are not, and they have success anyway, or they're not nice, or yeah. they're, you know, it's, I think that's anyone in any industry. I mean, like, how many people have success that you know, where you're like, yeah. come on, you know, well, and that's, I mean, you know, Allie, I think we, we that's found anything. Your new, we found your next career. You're going to be a real housewife. Yeah, there you York. go. And then you actually <laughs> can make a cookbook and then, and then it will be worth being. And it will actually be good. People will actually be but able I, to eat but it. But I totally, <laughs> I, I, guess, I, I hear it because it's, it's frustrating sometimes even in, in like uh, the restaurant world where you see people that it's just because they had enough money or enough investors or whatever they, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name any names so that I don't get like shunned. Um, yeah, I was going to say, but, you don't name You know, names. there are certain you have to work chains and stuff here that you're just like, why? Mm-hmm. Why do y'all go there? Right. I don't understand it. Like, it's not even like, I would I would say go to Chili's over that, you know? Like, at least they've like got a tried and right. kind of thing going oh on. And, right, right. Yeah, you know what you're so it, I mean, and, and don't even get me started on people that have like ghost written books by other people. And they're like, here's my book. You're like, you, t- that is, okay. Can you, I don't yeah. even know if you can read. Your though. book. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, let's be honest here. Listen, I mean, that's part of every industry, but I think there are some industries where you can't fake it as well, you know, where it's all on reputation. I just saw the new revival of Funny Girl, so I guess I shouldn't say that about <laughs> acting because um, 
I'll say I will go on the record here. That is nepotism at its finest. And Julie Binko, who went on in her absence, she had a scheduled three-day absence, and Julie went on and murdered the, uh, like, just Okay, in a good way. I was about to say, are you Slade, 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 and um, is it Beanie Feldstein? Is that her name, Beanie Feldstein? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't I don't want to shit talk, but I you know, she's just it was just a very intense miscasting. Yes. And I feel bad for her because like if you're her, of course, you'd be like, oh, my God, this is my dream. Like in some ways, it's like it's not yeah. her fault. Yeah. And she wasn't bad, but she wasn't great. Right. And so I was going well, to say, like, there are certain careers. Barbara Streisand. I mean, you're stu- right. I mean, there's I mean, no what do you who? Anyone who tries to do that is going to be, yeah. So you did see it. Yeah, oh, God. Okay. Oh. I saw, yeah. So, I mean, I was going to say that, like, nobody, there, you know, some careers you have to be good. And I was going to say, like, musical theater, but of course, not, you know, not always. But yeah, I mean, food I mean, in general Pamela has Anderson just been is very in Chicago frustrating. right now. Pamela in Chicago? I, I, I'm kind of curious. I'm, I'm kind of wanting to see it. I'm though. sorry. Uh, can I we know, go so back? She's playing Come Roxy. to New York. We'll she's see. Playing it. Roxy Stop. in Chicago. Yeah. Has she sung anything mm-hmm. ever? Yeah. She is eight okay, shows a week well, now. <laughs> she's going to learn. She's on a major schedule now. She's got to do some stuff. But yeah, I mean, cooking cooking has just become this one area where everybody's like, I cook. Mm-hmm. I can do this. And then, you know, if they're like adept at social media, which is a different mm-hmm. skill set, you know, they can become a major thing which for some people that's been great you know there are some tiktok people there's this woman alexis who's the black forager on tiktok she has millions of followers she's like the most enthusiastic nice lovely person and she basically shows people how to forage and not not die and feels like the most excited i mean you you will never see a person get more excited than foraging so it's like there are some people like that. Yeah, but it's like, oh, she is so knowledgeable. And now, like, this yeah. platform has is really, like, the ideal. You know, it's like no one's going to make an entire, like, 30-minute show about this. But, like, as little snippets of information, it's yeah. genius, you know? So it's not that social media, like, that knowledgeable people can't find ways to sort of work on there. It's just that, like, being good at social media does not necessarily mean that you are a good cook or that your recipe – or you could be a good cook, but maybe your recipes aren't good. So I have found that sort of shift in the last few years to be frustrating. And now a few words from our sponsors. Next page is sponsored by my restaurant, Bay Street Beer Garden. We're located in what was once an old train depot in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. Pretty cool, huh? Our bar and restaurant has beautiful high ceilings, communal tables, and German-influenced high-end bar fare. So it's as close as you can get to an authentic beer hall in the South. At our Bavarian-inspired and Southern-made restaurant, we're all about community, festivities, and uniting the old with the new. So go check out our website for updates on all the things, including live music, brunch parties, vendor markets, and all of our other upcoming events. We can't wait to see y'all. Next page is sponsored by Patrick Properties Hospitality Group. It's no secret that Charleston is one of the top wedding destinations in the world. And I'm thrilled to say Patrick Properties is the premier wedding and event company in the area. Since 1997, PPHG has unveiled five of Charleston's grandest properties and estates, faithfully restored and transformed into exquisite venues for special events. At Patrick Properties, we believe that moments matter, and our experienced team is committed to making each one extraordinary with unrivaled service and professional expertise. So if you're looking for a classy venue for your next big event, check out Patrick Properties Hospitality Group on their website or social media. (music) 
outside of work, you've also been through kind of your share of personal struggles. And, and I know that a lot of people could, I think, really benefit from hearing, uh, not only you mentioned it kind of earlier about how that even, uh, even Kate Middleton can't sing, you know, it it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to have some, (laughs) some issues, but um, could you walk us a little bit through your experience with having your son, Guy, and, and as well as the kind of struggles you faced getting pregnant after that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, we were talking before about, you know, it's it's so funny kind of what people see of you and then what is actually happening behind the scenes. And, you know, I had a very easy pregnancy with my son. We had sort of gone through both my mother and my mother-in-law had had cancer, but then they were fine. And so we were like, everything is up and up. And, you know, we had my son and then my mother-in-law got sick again and um, she had ovarian cancer and she passed away. And that, you know, was just when my son was a year and a half. And, and then, we decided to try to have more children and we just faced a slew of fertility stuff. You know, we had miscarriages. I did IVF. It just, nothing was working and it made no sense because my pregnancy with my son had been so seamless. And then a friend recommended me to a doctor who was kind of like the catch all of like, if no one can explain why you're infertile, like go to this guy and he'll test you for every possible thing under the sun. And it turned out that I have a rare genetic condition where if you have a boy and then try to get pregnant again, your body just basically will not Stop. sustain a pregnancy. Yeah, which is like something out of like a bad sci-fi movie. Um, but yeah, so. But you also mentioned, and what's crazy about this, you mentioned to the, this to me the other day that you, oddly, like in your whole family, like it, it, it is, you know, genetic. So it's in your whole family, but that they had all yeah. happened yeah. to have girls and then yeah, girls first. had a boy at the end. Yeah. Like, you know, you have a sister mm-hmm. and, and your youngest right. uh, sibling is a boy. So it was like, you would have never known. You'd never know. I mean, you would never guess that. You would never know. I mean, I, I really just got lucky that that I found out. Because, I mean, I could have just kept doing IVF thinking, you know, and my doctor, everyone's like, oh, well, it'll just work. You know, like, oh, it's just bad luck. Oh, it's just, you know, like no one could explain why it wasn't working. And I was very lucky. You know, my husband was working for a company at the time that fully paid for all of our IVF coverage, which that's amazing. Yeah. Which I mean, I think for a lot of people, that's such a huge piece of it. And so, I mean, we didn't have that piece of it, thank goodness. But, but in some ways, because of that, like we kind of could have just kept going, you know, we were like, well, you know, it just, um, so outside of the, of outside of the expense, I mean, like just the, the horm the hormones, the roller coaster, what it does to your body. Yeah. I mean, ask people in my life how pleasant I was for the two years I was, you know, well, and you're giving yourself shots, that. right? It, that's what I you give yes, yourself shots. Yes, I was oh very, God. very hormonal and fun, and really a delight to be around. It's great being a woman, because yeah, it's really fun being a woman. We have so many wonderful things mm-hmm. about our bodies that people want to tell us what yep. to do with them. But um, <laughs> like that, yeah, it, it, you know, it was, you know, and and of course, like in the meantime, like my career. I mean, my my first book came out in March of 2018, and. I was also, you know, I had a, I had a miscarriage that went on for quite some time where, um, you know, not that Roe v. Wade is important or anything, but that I eventually had to have removed. And I'm very open about that because, you know, it wasn't a, wasn't like a, oh, I didn't want to be pregnant. I yeah. desperately wanted to be pregnant. So, you know, literally like the week that my book came out, I'm having like a book party. I'm having this. And meanwhile, I'm like scheduling doctor's appointments to like probably terminate a very wanted pregnancy. And everyone's like commenting on social media, like, 
you're on fire. And I'm like, I am the most miserable I've ever been. Hooray. And it's just, it, it was so, I, I think about that now as like, in some ways, I wish I had been more honest at the time, but I think I just like emotionally couldn't. But I think, you know, we all look at sort of success at different moments and we have no idea what's happening for people. And I, I just, I think it's so ironic that like one of my, my proudest professional moments also coincided with one of my hardest personal moments. And, you know, you just sort of have to push through it. I mean, which, you know, I had to show up for interviews and for things and talk about the book and talk about how excited I was to have potlucks with people. And meanwhile, it's like, oh, the last thing I would like to do yeah. is have a potluck right now. But I, you know, we were lucky to sort of eventually figure out what was wrong. And so we eventually sort of moved on to surrogacy and we were very lucky to match up with a woman. How did you go about who, finding a surrogate? We, um, we used an agency, you know, it's, um, it is now legal in New York state to have, to be a surrogate, but at the time it was illegal because again, people like to control what women. This is very like bodies. poignant. Um, I feel like as for, the, I mean, this won't be coming yeah, out for another few yeah. weeks, but like, timely. you know, with everything that we've been, the leaking of the opinion. Yeah. It'll still yes, be timely. It'll still apply. Yeah. It'll still yeah. be timely then. But I think these are great examples of that, 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 that this is not a black and white issue. No, you know, the idea that, you know, surrogacy is banned really in like half of the states in the U.S. And the reason being that really, yeah, they think that like, you know, you're exploiting a poor woman who can't make decisions for herself. It is so insulting to the women who are surrogates. I mean, most of the women who are surrogates, I mean, first of all, you have to have already had a child to be a surrogate. So most of them are mothers who want to earn extra income and also want to do something for somebody else. I mean, our, I mean, I can't speak to the motivations of every surrogate, obviously. Um, you know, our surrogate has very easy pregnancies. She feels like it's something that she can do for other women. And, you know, she's religious. And I think she believes that like, this is the thing that she can do to bring joy to people into the, in the world. And I, I just, I mean, I just find her to be so incredible. And the fact that like she sort of has this attitude of like, oh, pregnancy is easy for me and I can give back to other people. And that also like she's not judgmental in any way. I mean, she carried twice for a gay couple. I mean, she carried for us. You know, she didn't hadn't known any Jewish families before and was very like, cool, interesting. I'm going to meet some people that are different to people that I've met. I mean, it's the idea that somebody would say to her, like, you don't know what you're doing is like so like, insulting to me. My like, mind is blown right now. Like, yeah, that was just so, so crazy to me that like yeah. the dichotomy of we don't want, um, you know, you to decide if you can carry um, a pregnancy, like you have to carry a pregnancy to term if it's yours, but if it's somebody else and they're holding, right. you know, they're doing it for you, they, right. they shouldn't have, they, they, you're taking advantage of them. Like what is the, no, that is mind blowing. If you want to find one topic that ultra conservatives and like ultra liberal feminists agree on, it is surrogacy um, because the feminists believe it's exploitative, wow. you know, and then ultra conservatives believe that like IVF in general is just playing God and terrible. Wow. So, yeah, it's um, it's fascinating to me. And, and that I mean, it's really funny, you know, because like you can go to war and be paid for that. You're not taking advantage of poor children. Yeah. You know, you can play uh, sports. Like those are 18 year olds. Right. Like we are not against, um, you know, high level sport. I mean, like like young gymnasts destroying their body. I mean, that is their choice, but 
you know, a woman can't decide like, yes, pregnancy is risky, obviously. But the idea that like, you can be a coal miner, but you can't be pregnant for somebody else. I mean, to help your family. I mean, and most of the women who are surrogates, again, like, nobody would hire a surrogate who was like, you know, in such desperate need for money, because then they wouldn't have a stable home life, they wouldn't have so most of the women who are surrogates are people who like, you know, they want to buy a house, they want to send their kids to a better school, they want to, you know, it's, yeah, it, it, it was a really eye opening experience for me. And one that I sort of, again, kind of talk about sort of the circuitous paths of life. I mean, I, I now have this family in my life who is sort of like another piece of our family, you know, so it, it all's well that ends well, I guess, but it was, you know, it, it's a really fascinating thing to go through and sort of the judgment and the stigma of sort of the way that different families come into the world is she, not something I had really ended up getting pregnant with twins. Yes. We have twin two-year-old girls now. Yeah. Which is amazing. And yeah, she, uh, yeah, that was a, she had she special... ever carried twins before she had carried twins. Oh, wow. Um, and what then is... actually she subsequently has given birth to another set of twins. Wow. She's been a surrogate. I think eight times. So I mean, wow. she's like, well, God bless her. That is amazing. amazing. I mean, I'm yeah, still blown like, away that this is something that would be amazing. made illegal. Like I just don't understand. It's like ridiculous yes. to me. And they were born. Um, yeah. Were well, born especially right in New York pandemic. state, they were born right before the pandemic. Like, yes, they were born January 28th, 2020. So mm. we, uh, yeah. yeah. So we, you know, I said to Laura, it was like, you know, I mean the naivete of us, like being like, you know, we've gone through this sort of, awful cancer stuff, you know, with my mother and my mother-in-law and the grief of losing my mother-in-law and fertility stuff. And the girls were born and we were like, this is a whole new bright chapter in our lives where everything, you know, finally, like we have been through all this stuff and everything's going to be fine now. And we just get to like be normal, normal people with normal problems, which is what I kept saying. And yeah, six weeks later, it was like, oh, okay. Just kidding. The world is is shut down. (laughs) Yeah, well, it was kind of one of those things where you're like, oh, I kept saying normal people with normal problems. And now this is a thing that all normal people have as their problem. So I guess we still fit into that. You manifested this. This is your fault. Yes. (laughs) So it is my fault. And I own that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we were just normal people. I told you the other day that I take equal responsibility because I was like, I'm ready to date again. And then it was like, <laughs> guess what? Everything goes stay in your home and don't see anybody. Good luck. Right. So yeah, it, enjoy you know, that. The best laid plans. Yes. But I mean, it's right. So, well, exactly. Yeah. So you end up, ha- you know, you have twins. I'm sure you were thrilled that, you know, to have oh healthy babies and, and that guy had us had siblings. But how did you guys yeah. manage that kind of chaos of because you know you think of pandemic everybody's like oh I get to sit at home and watch my favorite shows it's like people with kids do not get to do that not just kids newborns newborns Newborns. yes so how how was that um so I mean again because I like to be transparent about life and not pretend like I'm some superwoman I mean we did have help we had a woman who was already going to come and help us with sleep training and whatever. And when the pandemic started, she just stayed. You're like, you um, live here now. Thank God. Yeah. You're a I part mean, of our pod. seriously. And thank goodness that she had, I mean, she had been with us with my son. She had subsequently been with my sister-in-law twice. She'd been with two of my friends. I mean, she was like, again, like a member of our family, like a woman that we are very, very close to. So, I mean, like, I don't think I could have survived like mentally without 
her being here, not just because of the babies, but like a human being to talk to that yeah. company I enjoy. But, you know, for her, I mean, she's not supposed to be with us for that length of time and never going to her home. And um, we survived. We survived because she was here because, you know, my you know, my son was out of school and his whole life had turned upside down. So it was like I was, you know, doing the Zoom school and the homeschool. And what a funny you know, joke that and, was. And of course, and yeah, I mean, home, like whatever that was. I mean, it, yeah. ridiculous. And, you know, my husband was working full time, you know, sort of again on Zoom and he had just started a job. I think he went into the office for one week. He started a new job and then everything, you know, so he had no time because he just started this new job. I mean, it was like, you know, he was going to take like five or six weeks off after the girls were born and then start this new job. I mean, it was just, it was, it was chaos. I mean, but we were, we were very lucky in that we had help, you know, the girl, we were sort of at two, you know, the girls were young enough where they weren't stir crazy in the way that Guy was, my son, who at the time was like four and a half and is mm -hmm. now six and a half, you know, so we, and, and of course my job, everything stopped. I mean, I, you know, I, I do a lot of branded recipe development for companies. I mean that everybody was like, let's push this back a few months, you know, so everything that I had on my docket, you know, my show, we were like, we're going to move the next season. You know, it was like, everything came to a halt. So at least, I mean, not luckily, cause it's not great, you know, to like lose all your income in one fell swoop, but at least like, you know, my husband, I mean, he couldn't do anything. So yeah. You know, yeah, it was it was total utter chaos. And I, I think it's it, like you know that I think that just really highlights how I think for a lot of families when they were going through this. I mean, and obviously, is you know not to leave Todd out. I'm sure he had a very difficult time as well. Um, and I know you did because you know acting was put on hold. Like all all of that was oh, put yeah. on hold. But all the work I, stopped. But the the family aspect, it was like it shown this really big light. I think on how much we really do rely on the village of other people because oh my God, like yeah. otherwise you're going to lose your mind. Like it's, yes. And I, I'm still teachers, caregivers. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, we are not meant to, I mean, it's strange to begin with that we as a society have developed in such a way that we sort of live alone, you know, that when we have children, we're sort of supposed to do it all ourselves, which was historically never the way it was done. Mm -hmm. You know, women are supposed to breastfeed and if they can't do it, it's not an option. I mean, I think, it, you know, in previous times you would be like, oh, my friend is great at breastfeeding. I'm great at cooking. Like, let's help each other out. Like, yeah. let's all do stuff together. And now it's like, you must be everything to everyone. Yes. I mean, it's, it's unsustainable in normal times. And then I think when you take out, you know, my son loved school. I mean, he was suddenly like had no, couldn't hang out with any friends, yeah. couldn't hang out at school. You know, his nanny who did stuff with him after school. I mean, you know, like he, he's so bonded with her. He couldn't see her. I mean, she couldn't, I mean, you know, and again, like we, we didn't have, we don't have cars. So it was like, it wasn't like, oh, like let's, I mean, at one point we literally were like, we're going to like walk over the Brooklyn bridge to visit someone six feet away. And that is like our activity of today. I mean, wow. it was just like, you know, I mean, we're like, let's go walk to Times Square and see it empty. That's a fun activity for today. You know, like you're sort of cut off from all of these sources. You know, my, my parents couldn't visit, my in-laws couldn't visit. 
Um, you know, my sister who lives close by in the beginning, we were all in a pod together and then she was like, I have to leave New York. So she went back to Charleston and <laughs> fair enough. Well, I mean, that seemed to be kind of a thing, like as far as like uh, there was a mass uh, kind of exodus down to Charleston. Right. Of and a to lot live of... with your parents. And I think a lot of people who live in a city rely on the stuff of the city um, if you're stuck in your apartment. <laughs> And just like the size of your apartments, you know, like if you yes. have a small apartment, I mean, get out. you know, you expect to be able to go to a museum, to go to the theater, to go, you know, to a restaurant. I mean, it's not, it doesn't feel as small if you're not there 24 hours a day. Yeah. You know? So yeah, we very quickly, you know, had a lot of people exit. And so it was very isolating and, and hard and especially just so frustrating kind of after, you know, we had been through so much and it was supposed to be this like really joyous time in our life and yeah I was going to ask you about kind of like you know I know that you and Daniel also had a and you've mentioned it a couple times a particularly hard time after your mother-in-law was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and and your own mother was diagnosed with breast cancer and that was before the pandemic so how could you tell us a little bit about that and the difficulties that you faced and how y'all were able to to kind of come out the other side yeah I don't know you know it's funny I mean my mother came out the other side and that she is totally fine so I mean that is how we got through that grief I think is just like an ongoing thing that you try to figure out and never really you learn how to live with it rather than like it doesn't it's not like ever better I mean my mom had breast cancer for the first time over 10 years ago and, um, you know, was in remission for over five years. And then it came back and right when Guy was born, I mean, so, you know, I had a baby and my mom and he came early. So we thought, you know, we thought she was sort of going to start chemo and then be able to come meet him. And it sort of was the opposite of that, of like, she pushed back chemo by a few days to be able to come up and see him. And, you know, and, and my mother-in-law had, had ovarian cancer once and then was in remission for a few years. And then, you know, maybe six months after my mom started going through treatment again, my mother-in-law started going through treatment again. And, um, you know, ovarian cancer is really, it's not untreatable, but it almost always comes back and it almost always, you know, it's sort of, you can live a, a long time sometimes if you just keep getting chemo and keep going, but Um, You know, that it was really, it was really hard because we obviously, you know, wanted to have hope and, and to be, you know, to be totally honest, I mean, the reason, you know, I had my son when I was 30, which in New York is like, I was a child, I guess, you know, my, my doctor said I was her youngest pregnant patient. And in many ways, we did that because, you know, my mother-in-law had been diagnosed a few years earlier, and my husband really wanted her to be a grandmother, you know, so, and knowing kind of the prognosis we we had hoped that you know she would be able to be with us longer but i think you know the goal was to have her be a grandmother which she was and was really i mean not just the best decision that we made because i love my son but i mean really that you know obviously he's great there too. were multiple benefits to many it. benefits yeah um to you know having children highly recommend if only if you want them you have yeah, to not really daily want them. meal, but children, yes. Um, yeah, exactly. We're gonna... <laughs> if you if you want them, the big caveat: yeah. don't. If you don't want to have children, please don't. It's a yes. lot. But um, but yeah, you know, we, you know, my mother-in-law was very sick for a long time, and really was just so she kept living her life. I mean, they renovated their kitchen. You know, it was like. She was an amazing woman who just sort of lived life to the fullest. So, I mean, I think after her diagnosis, you know, she 
she lived for three and a half more years and every year of, I mean, you know, they did a big trip to Australia, New Zealand, like they, you know, it was, she certainly didn't let it take over her life, but, you know, losing her, I think was really just a shock to all of our systems because we had never dealt with something like that before. You know, we'd all, we'd lost grandparents and people sort of, but more natural ages. I mean, things that are sad, but you know, when you mm-hmm. lose someone on the younger side, it just feels like a shock. And I think my husband's whole family was such a tight unit, but she was really like the glue. So figuring out how we all navigate our relationships with each other without her was just, you know, it it, yeah. it takes so many years. And I think that's the thing that is so hard to wrap your mind around is that like, you know, grief and loss takes years to even just figure out like how to begin to navigate it, not just Sort of, I mean, you know, my husband, I, I, you know, I, I don't think that he will ever have a day where it doesn't make him sad that his mom is not here, especially, it's you know, having kids. Storm of craziness. And I mean, and yes. you can tell how much of a impact that she had on your life, like even just reading your cookbooks, like that you, oh you, know, God, you yeah. have a beautiful, a beautiful like tribute to her yeah. and your, and your own mother, yeah. um, who unfortunately is not a great cook, but <laughs> taught me know, a lot she, of other things. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that you have this beautiful tribute to her. And I, I think that, you know, she would be very, very happy to know that you, that she had that kind of impact on you. And, and, and I know that she's impacted your cooking a lot. Yes. I mean, she was a huge impact on my cooking because she was such a, you know, my mother is like my favorite person on earth. I mean, I, I admire her, but you know, she's a very different mother than my mother-in-law was like, she was amazing. I mean, she both, my in-laws are both Israeli and she, um, you know, was in the army as everybody is and was a code breaker and served in two wars in Israel. And um, worked for a military defense firm and moved to New York. And then when she had kids, wow. she was like, I just want to, I want to be a mother and I want to stay at home. And, you know, she was like the greatest stay at home mother uh, after sort of having this, like, you know, it's like having this one life. And then, um, so she was just like, you know, the cooking mom, the like, if you have a cold, she's showing up on your doorstep with chicken soup. Like I learned so much about like hosting and entertaining and just how to be, um, and how to be a mother. I mean, you know, my mother is obviously my biggest maternal influence, obviously, but I, I learned so much from her as well. So I, I was very lucky, the dedication of the book. Um, I turned the book in. She was in the hospital for a few weeks before she passed away. And I actually sent in my the first round of my book from like Memorial Sloan Kettering, like sitting on my laptop, taking calls from my editor, you know, like wandering around the halls, you know, very glamorous. And but I was able to sort of show her the dedication to the book, you know, and that I had turned it in and that's what it was going to be. So she knew, you know, she knew that that was dedicated right. to her. But yeah, you know, it's I, I think, listen, like we lose people in our lives. You know, my grandmother was also a huge influence on my cooking and it was hard to lose her. And she was in her mid 80s, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, we sort of always yeah. carry people through our lives that aren't with us anymore. But, you know, it just I think it's you know, you don't ever get over that. I mean, listen, my dad's dad passed away when he was 94. I mean, you know, it, it was still the outpouring of grief is the, still the same. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, right. you, you're, it doesn't change yeah. anything, but it just, yeah, this feels a little bit ickier when they're younger and you just sort of, you feel like, I mean, I'm sure with kids, I mean, I know, Laura, you know, you've had loss at much harder age um, when it relates to children and thinking about the people that should be, you know, it's like, I look at my kids all the time and I just yeah. think, God, she should be here in a way that I don't, 
I think yeah. about my grandmother, like, God, I wish she could see this, you know, but I, I don't, yeah. I don't have the same feeling of like, it is so unfair and ridiculous that she's not seeing yeah. this. You know, it's like, it's a different feeling yeah. that I think is just harder to like. Yeah. We actually, yeah, we actually have done right now during this podcast. I don't know if they're still down there, but my mother has my nephew, mm -hmm. small Charles, whose mother passed away from cervical cancer when he was one. So it, it, it there's a lot of that feeling yeah. of like, you know, if only you could have had this wonderful person to have the same right. impact on yeah. you. So my heart goes out to you so much. Absolutely. For that. Yeah. And and so, so sorry, sorry for your loss, you. Emily. Seriously. And um Thank I you. do wanna I do wanna move into um talking about another character in your life, which is New York City. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you the and, greatest and, character. And the greatest character. And you know, we <laughs> keep talking about the pandemic and it's very important, but how do you feel that New York has changed because of the pandemic, the good, the bad, the ugly? Do you feel like it's more dangerous now? Um, and what is your favorite? Do you still like living there? Is there still a favorite part of New York that you just enjoy? I love living in New York. I, I, I've always wanted to live here. I, I feel like it is my place. And I just love that everything is at your fingertips. You know, like I'm not a big outdoorsy person, so I don't really miss that in the way that I think some people do. Um, I mean, I, I miss the weather. <laughs> like, I don't need to see trees. Yeah, it's, it's not. Fine. I mean, but there, you know, we have a lot of parks, but there's stuff happening in the parks. I just, you know, I mm -hmm. love that tomorrow I could say I want to go see the greatest theater in the world. And it is right. It is. I can get on a train and be there in 15 minutes, you know, and I can buy rush tickets at the door. I can go to concerts. I can go to restaurants. And I think a lot of people live in New York and then they don't do that stuff, you know, and then that's why they end up leaving. Cause they're like, well, yes, the Met is right here, but when was the last time I went to a museum, you know, and um, we mm. really take advantage of all of that. You know, I, I, go to a lot of theater. I mean, I'm a big theater, you know, big lover of theater. I, I certainly couldn't be in the theater. You know, I go to the theater a lot. I obviously go to restaurants. You know, if you love food, I mean, there's nowhere like New York, the diversity of New York. You can have any culture, any experience. I mean, everything is here. And I, I and now, especially having kids, I mean, it's amazing to be able to take my son you know, to see, I mean, the girls are still kind of too little, although they, you know, they're now starting to, there's some museums that they can do, but, mm -hmm. you know, they want to learn about dinosaur bones. We can go to the Museum of Natural History. It's right there. You know, like they, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's, I just, I love New York. And I also love that everybody comes through New York. So I still see people, you know, there's always people visiting. It's just, I don't know. There's a, there's an energy about it that I think for some people is not what they want. Like, I don't think of New York. Like I know there's some New Yorkers who are like, yeah, everybody should love New York. It's the greatest city on earth. And I'm, it, it, it's not for everyone. You know, you have to be the kind of person who like, I read a book recently that they said like, you know, you're a real New Yorker when you can just like cry in the middle of the street and you don't care, like you don't care anymore that like people are looking at you, you know, because everyone just like lives in their own little world. And mm -hmm. So, I mean, not that I make a habit of crying in the street, but I just, I love that sense of like every single person has a story and has a dream and, you know, wants to do something and wants to see beauty in the world. And, you know, I know beauty is, you know, some people look at New York and like, this is the ugliest place I've ever been. It's just like a bunch of buildings. And Charleston, I mean, it's like Charleston's the most beautiful city in the world, obviously. But I don't know. I, it, my, my love affair with New York will never end. So, no, I'm one of, like, the few people who we did not leave for any moment of the pandemic. Um, we were just here. 
we were just like the fools just in New York when it was empty. I mean, empty, which honestly was like kind of its own fun. Like we got to see things that I never thought I would go to the Empire State Building and have it all to myself. You know, I never right. thought I would see Times Square without any other humans. So like, I kind of enjoyed it. Um, but New York now, I mean, it has changed. A lot of things have closed. It's been very hard on restaurants. It's been very hard on small businesses. Crime is up, not as dramatically, I think, as the news would make you believe. Well, see, that's what um, I wanted to ask also, you about. That, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about because um, I listened to Bethany, Bethany Frankel's podcast, another Real Housewife alumni, and, yeah. um, and uh, she was talking about she got on uh, because of the, the shooting in the subway or the, the guns pulled in the subway yeah. recently, and she was saying that New York is not safe. I'm scared for my children, and she went on this whole tirade for about 30 minutes about it, and I just wanted to get – and that was only a few weeks ago. So I just wanted to get your opinion. You live there. Do you, do you feel it still uh, – is it is it – as dangerous as the media has sort of as Bethany it, thinks it is. As best no, as I mean, listen, like yes, you know. Well, I mean, listen, like <laughs> he's a huge fan, so watch your. I, I don't think of, but I mean, I don't think of Bethany as like a person who's like taking the subway on the average day anyway. Um, again, if I had sold my company to like. <laughs> Like, listen, if I had invented like a margarita mix that made me a hundred million dollars, like I too may not take the subway. I don't know. Although I probably would because I just, it's faster. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, practical. I'm very practical in that way. Um, I, no, I mean, I listen, I think that crime is certainly a concern. I, there, I, there's certainly a lot of homelessness and mental health issues that I think are worse than they have been before. But I also think like, I mean, your odds of dying in New York City are probably still higher for like looking at your phone and getting hit by a bus than anything else. So, I mean, that's, you know, and again, like people get in car accidents every day. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's not to diminish it. I mean, and I think there have been some really horrific incidents, especially on the subway of people, um, you know, that shooting, which has never happened in New York before. So I think was really shocking to a lot of people. There've been a few like people getting pushed. And, and again, this has all been sort of people in the throes of like extreme mental health crises, um, often homeless people that are sort of acting out. And so I think that is, you know, the randomness of it, I think has been very frightening to people. But I mean, millions and millions of people are still taking the subway every day and living in New York, and it's been fine. And tourism is seems to be I mean, things are packed again. So I don't know. I mean, I love New York. I've always felt safe here. I maybe, you know, at night, I'm a little bit more cautious than I would have been in the past. And, and it's hard to know whether that's just like, being out again and like sort of trying to figure out how to like be a human again after a, a pandemic versus safety. But, um, I don't know. I will, I well, will I toot the horn of New York still forever. An apartment there. And I was, I'm recently <laughs> thinking about moving back there. I'm not even joking. So mm. you know, yeah, we'll, we'll see. come we'll back. Todd. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Yes. But so she's, she's yeah. Yeah. You back. I, New York. I don't know. All Nothing. Talk. Like, yeah. I mean, LA is, its own special beast sure um, is but, you know i i i'm partial to new york not as much walking no now. very little walking in la um yeah i mean i don't know i i think that new york is it's a city where the whole world comes together and i don't think anything is going to change that and you know it i sounds hope like it's still magical because that's how all new york has always been for me I, is it yeah. still, it's still a magical place to be yeah that's great and i've always been obsessed yeah i mean it. it feels more magical in some ways because it's like you you know you don't know what you don't have until it's gone i mean like going to theater again i mean i've been like inhaling theater you know like it, it's like a life source because it's just like for so long, I didn't get to stand, you know, next to people and cheer for performance, you know, and 
you know, I went to a concert for the first night, first time recently, and it was just like, you know, it's so amazing to get to do these things, these sort of uniquely New York special things, you know, and um, I don't know. So, yeah, the magic in some ways is more because we were deprived of it for so long. And I think especially actors, I mean, you know, I think of restaurants and actors. I mean, there are certain communities in New York that are such important communities you know, people in media, I mean, media is a big community, but after a little bit, you know, everybody figured out how to work from home and they were doing it. You know, I yeah. mean, I did a lot of Zoom cooking segments for various shows. I mean, you know, media could figure it out. But I mean, the arts and restaurants, I mean, you cannot exist without people being crammed together. So it's just I don't know. It's been really amazing yeah. to kind of see it come back. Yeah, well, we're obviously a little yeah, bit come biased because those are yeah. things that we do. So we're excited too. So we'll definitely come visit. I mean, come visit. You have. Uh, I know exactly yeah, exactly. where you live because you told us earlier. So I will be there very come soon. Visit. Um, but also, you know, just uh, you know, want to get kind of let everybody know a little bit about your your cookbooks mm -hmm. because I I. Um, I can personally say that a ton of my friends having that do not even know that we knew each mm -hmm. other, that you are from here, like would just be like, have you seen this modern freezer book, like the freezing what, modern uh, freezer meals. I don't want to get modern. Oh, it's an meals. SEO title. Yes. If there ever was Which, one, it's okay. It's like for, it's for search engines. Well, no, it's, it's definitely, <laughs> but I'm telling you it, I've like people live and die by it yeah. and and but my personal favorite is your book bring it Thank which you. is about bring you know basically easy to make things that you can bring to potlucks and and it's like you said before like there are no you're not making it harder than it needs to be it's everything you need to know for each of these mm -hmm. dishes um I'm, I made a few last night and ate all of them by myself um and it was really delicious <laughs> but the the thing that I really uh loved about it is that you have this popcorn yes. section and it, it took me back to when we were younger, when we would do those study things. You always, always made popcorn. had popcorn. <laughs> always made popcorn. And so my big question is, did you put that in there because of Definitely. me and you eating Absolutely. popcorn together? 100%. Okay. Yeah. I knew it. 100%. I knew it. it all comes back to yeah. snack time yeah. at Houston in your house. And I think <laughs> it's really funny. I told Guy one time that and I, I won't share where you grew up because, you know, we don't want people finding this window. But I, I was like, one time we used to jump. You remember there's a window at your old house that we used to, like, jump out of just, like, for kicks? I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, yeah. so now every time we walk by there, yeah, no yeah Guy is like, that's the house you used to jump out of. And I'm like, okay, but that makes it sound worse than it is. But, yeah, it's a lot of afternoons. On the second floor? <laughs> but it wasn't that high. Well, it, was... it was, like, and then onto grass. <laughs> It was totally normal, Todd. Okay, and so was throwing water balloons at uh, carriage doors Always. as they went by. Okay, it's not yeah, that it's, weird. It's totally normal and um, great. And yes, I, <laughs> the amount of popcorn consumed in my life has been large. And yeah, but adding flavors to it. You and my dad, I think, rival each other as far as like how much popcorn has been consumed. But I mean, honestly, the thing I love about the book so much is that it, it tells it it shows you that you can take something as simple yeah. as that. But a million different kinds right. of flavors into it, make it different, and, and that it's easy and it's doable. And you look fancy, like, and you didn't do anything. You, like, zested some limes and, like, coated it in some sugar, and you're like, ooh, special zesty sweet popcorn. Like, it takes, like, three seconds. Like, people think that entertaining has to be hard, yeah, and it I, does, I mean, it's, 
the whole point should be that you look impressive and do very little. Like that is usually my goal. Like people who are like, oh, I spent eight hours like creating this bread. I'm like, well, that I hope you enjoyed that because people are going to eat it in 10 seconds. So like if you enjoy those sort of like long projects, I have a lot of respect for that, but it's not my vibe. And my goal is like, oh, how can I make something the most delicious while also doing the least amount of work? So, you know, that's that's my books. Don't go anywhere because we'll be right back after a few words from our sponsors. Next page is sponsored by Rogers, Patrick, Westbrook, and Brickman Law Firm, located in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. RPWB attorneys are experienced, respected, and tenacious. The common thread of their work is that they help those who have been wronged. They often lead class action lawsuits and multi-district litigations against large corporations. So they're the ones fighting the big guy. And people tend to notice their attorneys, including my dad and future guests, are highly regarded by both peers and adversaries and were voted best law firm in 2021 in U.S. News and World Report. Their proudest moments are when they help ordinary, hardworking Americans who have been harmed through no fault of their own. So if you need attorneys with experience, innovation, and determination, give RPWB Law Firm a call or visit their website at rpwb.com. I have a random question. Can you please tell us a little bit about, I was reading, uh, can you tell us about the Independent Restaurant Coalition, which is, I I believe it's something you're really passionate about. I am passionate about it. And I think it's something that has sort of been forgotten about. I think like early on in COVID times, everybody was like, we're going to donate to our restaurants and we're going to give them, Mm -hmm. you know, help. And, you know, I think a lot of restaurants survived because of PPP loans, but also because the Independent Restaurant Coalition really um, lobbied Congress to get bills passed and get money sort of funneled straight into restaurants. And I just, you know, I personally, and I'm obviously totally biased because I love restaurants so much, but I think that no matter where you live, you know, the heart and soul of any town, any city is independent restaurants. It's the place that people gather. It's the place that people have their memories and their birthdays. And, you know, a, a, a there cannot be a vibrant community without restaurants in a way that I think, listen, there are vibrant communities without other types of small businesses. Um, Restaurants are just not optional. And so many of them have lost everything. And I, the, in the independent restaurant coalition has really pushed to continue to get aid to restaurants. And when you think about the number of people employed in the hospitality industry, it is the one industry where people who have been down on their luck, who have criminal records, who, you know, have had substance abuse problems, who have no resume, people who are teenagers, people just trying to make extra money. I mean, it is like our country, like the number of people who have worked in hospitality at some point in their lives, it it is a community for people. And it also is sort of the lifeblood of communities. So um, I, I think at this stage, everybody's sort of like, oh, well, people can go to restaurants again. It's fine. And there's a lot of restaurants that are still digging out of holes, which is why yeah. restaurants are still closing yeah. um, the thought that they could hold on. So I don't know. It's it's something that has gotten a lot of support, but still needs support. And so, you know, I think if people are passionate about that, it's not just raising money. It's also calling, you know, your local representatives and letting them know. I mean, it's, it's sort of one of the organization's that even if you sort of can't donate, you can still do a lot to help. And I think that's, you know, we're all inundated all the time with like, please donate to this thing and help with this thing. And, you know, some obviously like we cannot financially do that for everything, but I think, you know, 
the independent restaurant coalition has done a great job of sort of telling people like how they can contribute with their voice and making it known that people want their independent restaurants to survive because that's, you know, we don't have a community. I mean, like, yeah, you, there is no birthday party. There is no drinks after work. There is no like, catch-ups you know without yeah. independent restaurants i mean we talk you know chilies is great but independent yeah, no, restaurants it, it, yeah, no, i agree it's it's uh, i mean it is i remember reading during the pandemic as i was uh quietly sobbing in my office when everything i'm just kidding yeah. but was sitting in the darkness yeah. just drinking all everyone yeah um but that you know thinking i actually read this article that uh, i was in new york times talking about how that that was one of the first industries that everybody rallied around after the the Spanish flu because they were like, this is where we come. This is where the community lies. And and that's where decisions are made, where memories are made, like you said. So I, I, I think I'm, also a little biased as being as a restaurant yeah. owner, but I, I think it is an amazing um, coalition and they've done great things. So and I just want to point out if people want to uh, support the coalition or just go learn about it, it's www.saverestaurants.com. Save us. Well, honestly, we just can't thank you enough for coming on here, Allie. I mean, this has been, uh, it's such been a joy. A, wonderful conversation. I know we definitely dived, you know, dove a little deep into some things. We really appreciate you being vulnerable and open and, and, and really kind of like what we were trying to do with this whole thing is shining a light on, on that, those parts of, of everybody's life that it may look picture perfect. You may have, um, a a glossy cookbook out there, but it's not always rainbows. I mean, that that dichotomy that you talked about earlier about when you were, you know, um, the, the cookbook was taken off and everything was going well in your life, but then you were also going through this personal struggle at the same time where you just probably, that's the last thing you wanted to be doing. I mean, that, I think, I think everybody goes through that. Everybody can relate to that. Totally. I mean, and I think that's, you know, I think that's why it's so great what you guys are doing, because I was saying to Laura, like, there's a lot, you know, I've talked a lot about, you know, my career and what recipes you like and whatever. I mean, but there's not a lot of people saying like, let's really have these conversations about the good and the bad, because we're all going through it. And I think that, you know, it's, it's amazing how when you can sort of hear other people's stories, it can help, help you and help anyone else to kind of realize sort of and not just on the level of like certainly like you know talking about surrogacy I I get you know emails all the time of people being like give me advice you know which is I think an important part of being vocal but also just knowing that like everybody's got stuff you know everybody's going through you're not alone in it we're all no no for sure and it's it's great that you guys are having these types of conversations so I'm I'm thrilled to be a part of it we're so happy to have you it's been it's been such a joy yeah, it really has. Come to New York. Yes, and we're coming. I'm like I, I said, back. I know I don't know what um, the number of the street is, so I might have some difficulty there and may text you about that. But uh text me anytime. But knock, overall knock, knock. we know it's in the somewhere <laughs> middle of something, <laughs> New York and Union Square. And Union Square. <laughs> we're really excited. Go to the Union Square farmers market, you'll probably find me. Oh perfect. Yes. Who's looking for and then we can eat a bunch of food together. That'd be amazing. Exactly. Well, we can't thank it's you. My enough. usual MO. Yeah. Well. Thank you. Uh, hey, Allie, how, how can people how can people follow you on social media? 
I'm Allie underscore Rosen, um, A-L-I-R-O-S-E-N, because Allie Rosen was taken by a bikini fitness model. So don't, oh, I mean, you can follow her. her if you would like. Um, you will not get you know. the same kind of content. It'll be no, different it'll be content. Slightly different. Um, yeah, but I'm Allie underscore Rosen, and that's, you know, where I am most active. And yes, I am, I mean, I am a, you know, if you are reading a recipe in a book and you have a question, send me a DM. I am... I, I love talking to people about food, so awesome. anytime. Or surrogacy or cancer or whatever, you know? Any of it. I'm, I'm around, yeah. I, I have better advice for food, but I can certainly, <laughs> you know, commiserate on a lot of other topics. But yeah. Awesome. <laughs> all right, thank well, you so much. we can't thank you enough. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend and give my love thank to all of your family. Too. I will. All right, we'll talk to Bye-bye. you later. Bye. Bye. Okay, well, Todd, she's what do you think? She's she's amazing, and I I'm I'm thoroughly thoroughly going to buy all of her cookbooks. I'm mm-hmm. going to um uh stalk her when I go to New York City. You know, okay, she is. Well, you know, I'm such, I am. So you know, a, she's such a she's such a uh uh she is inspirational to me on so many levels. I mean, you know, just even going, going to boarding school at such a young age, going to Scotland. I mean, she's just been, she's just done so much in her career. Um, the fact that Brian Williams thought enough of her to get her a job. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it speaks to her character and, um, yeah. you know, and that's awesome that you guys had known each other for years. It's, it's well, what I, what I just like loved so much when we even caught up like before doing this was like kind of the weirdly, uh, parallel lives that we kind of had like totally different things, but that, that we both kind of ended up going these different directions. I never felt like that. I loved her answer that she didn't feel like she was in the wrong place at any given time. Cause that's how I felt. Like I never thought I was like, Oh, I'm not meant to be doing this, right. but it just always led me to another thing. And so it's like, it felt like having a kindred spirit that I knew from, you know, these very formative years when I was younger, but to like grow up and now we're, we're grownups and adults. And it's like, she gives me the goosebumps because it's like, one of the things I I was glad she talked on Laura, didn't, didn't you think like, I did not realize, like I've worked in restaurants forever, but I didn't realize how the toxic masculinity situation is like, Mm -hmm. It's like, it's really bad. And I, you know, but that's culture for me. Like I've worked, I've worked as a waiter, you own a restaurant. Like it's just always known that the chef is going to bite your head off if you fuck up. Which is crazy (laughs) to me because I honestly, I I didn't want to, I never want to get too involved in in talking about myself during these interviews. I want to hear from these people, obviously. And we have to learn that we are not the center of the show. Um, But for real, like I, it, it is one of those crazy misconceptions because I we have a chef right now who I adore and I have never heard him raise his voice like once but and I don't, that I don't is think you would tolerate that and uh, I mean it's we've we've had some chefs that raise their voice <laughs> uh, but I think it, it is becoming more um you know acceptable if you will to be a uh, somebody that you can get along with in the kitchen and that, that can actually help the environment and not hurt it. But I still think that there is that um, the stigma of it that prevents women from getting 
into it because right. they're afraid they've been traumatized by, you know, all this other stuff going on. And, and I've, I've always found the dichotomy too. like, we, we touched on it in, in this with Gordon Ramsay yelling at people on the show. But then when you go to the kids cooking show that he also hosts, right. He's so sweet and like amazing to those kids. And so he's clearly like kind of putting on a show, if you will, for sure, for, for the other ones. And, and I think there just needs to be a, a shift to get that to be normalized and that this doesn't have to be some kind of like, in a way, it reminds me of kind of like the good old boy club. Like we went through it. So you've got to go through it. Oh, like a fraternity 100%. Thing. 100%. And it's like, that's so unnecessary. That doesn't right. change the, the the quality of the food. It doesn't right. change, you know, anything other than that you have more women involved who, like you say, you brought up a great point well, and that I were the ones that were in the kitchen. Right, exactly. And when, and if, if I understand that it is a very high, if, if you're busy in, in a restaurant and it gets, it, could, it can get crazy out there. So you yeah. just start barking orders and like, I understand, yeah. but there's a way to do that and not be a horrible. Human. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, you know, there's a reason there's the saying like, you know, it, that it, 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 what is the saying? <laughs> if it gets too hot in the kitchen, yeah, get out or yeah. whatever. But too many honestly, in the kitchen maybe <laughs> too many. No, something about it. It's too yeah. many cooks in the kitchen, but it gets hot. Can't stand the heat, heat. in the kitchen. Get out. <laughs> we'll get out. Whatever. We'll figure it out. But <laughs> it, it does get literally hot and and uncomfortable and crazy back there. But that's sometimes not even when people that want to just be in charge are not the ones like that. That's when you got to keep your cool. You know, that that's yeah. when you should be like, okay, everybody is freaking out. Let's right. all get it together. Well, that, this is interesting. Let's cause like, yes, she is a, um, you know, Allie is a, uh, you know, celebrity chef, but I mean, I wonder, I wonder how she, um, it, cause she doesn't, she, she said she didn't want to work in that in, in, in a, in a kitchen. Mm -hmm. And, um, I wonder, um, I wonder, first of all, I hope she's going to be doing another cookbook. Um, yeah, I'm sure she will. I was, uh, I know for a fact <laughs> right now, her publicist is very much <laughs> like, and it's the same thing with, with everything that you're, you know, you have this one project that's going on right now. It's like, push, push, push. Yeah. So, you know, we'll say it but again, said... go get modern freezer meals. That is her most recent one, but you she wants people to do swear by it. Yeah, I can't no, wait I'm to telling try you, it. I did not know that. I, I mean, it's just funny. I mentioned to a bunch of my friends, like, well, we're going to be interviewing Allie. And she, I grew up with her and I'm like, oh, man, uh, that modern freezer meals book. That's man, awesome. it saved me. But she also, like, okay. the fact that she was so open and vulnerable about her own trauma and all of her grief and her miscarriages and her, I mean, what, what she went through with, um, you know, finding a wonderful surrogate who has blessed her with these twins. And, you know, it's, it's, she, she's just so, um, she's so inspiring. And, you know, I, I really love the fact that she was so relatable. Yeah. We, we actually, I, I, I had a feeling this was going to be a really great conversation. We did a pre-interview that usually lasts about 10 to 15 minutes mm -hmm. for all of our listeners out there. It ended up being an hour because she was just like in this. And I like talking about that. And like, cause you can tell that she's used to having all these conversations about food, you know, that that's what the interview was about, but that there are other causes she's very passionate about. And, and for those that weren't 
privy to after our interview, Todd and her had a, quite a bonding experience she's a, about she's Broadway. She's a Broadway musical theater buff. And yeah, so she like, is all about I, it. Like a true Broadway musical theater buff. So yeah. I, uh, I, I can't wait to have more conversations with her, um, you know, off the show about um, about theater. I mean, it, you know, and to, she's a musical theater girl. You can, you, you, yeah. can, you can tell the way she talks about it. She under she talks the language. She, she's, she's, she, she's, she's she knew names. Of, she's one of us. <laughs> yeah. She knew, she knew the names. She was able to bring that all up. And I was like, okay, I'm out of my league here, she, but, but y'all are, y'all can teach me the way yeah, we're we going to we'll... take a trip up there. And, <laughs> and to be honest, you guys, we got so into this interview that we forgot to ask the, the question, question of, of the day. day so for you know to show respect to ali we will also refrain. not be answering yeah. refrain from answering the question of the day but it was such a good combo and i hope that it resonated with with other people as much as it just us i mean you and i are very different in a lot of ways but we always end up finding these commonalities with talking to these people. And that's why I love doing this so much. It's such a, and, and, and to hear her say that she is happy that we're, that we're doing this, that we are making a I difference. It, it really, cause you know, we're just, we're, we're still operating blind out here. It's, it's still yeah. like, we hope people are enjoying <laughs> the content. We hope people are enjoying, you know, um, or at least learning and growing from hearing about other people's um, misfortunes and how they overcame it. You know, I think yeah. that's, that's really what we're doing here. We're trying, we're, we're just trying to help and so put some good out in the universe. And um, it, it was to nice hear to that get positive like, affirmation was really, yeah. it was really, I needed that this morning. I, I did too. Did. I did too. I don't think she realizes how much <laughs> that, that helped us. Exactly. Um, but I guess that's the whole thing. We want to be helping people with this. You it's said to a- me when you brought that, when you, when you brought this idea to me to do this podcast, you said, you wanted to have conversations like we just had with Allie that where people can, you know, yes, uh, talk about what they're going on, but more about what they're talking about, what they have been through and how they have overcome because Mm -hmm. everybody goes through, like she said it herself, everybody goes through, everybody's got stuff going on that you have no idea about. That's why it's a reminder to be kind to everybody because you have no idea what's going on behind that, that perfect smile behind that, you know, wonderful Facebook post, whatever. I really think it's very easy right now, especially with our kind of, um, what do you want to say? Like reality TV, all quote unquote reality TV to, to be a hater, you know, to just assume that, oh, so-and-so is doing this and that, that, like everything is gossip. Everything is this or that. It's like these real conversations are just so refreshing exactly because and and yeah we get a little bit of hmm, into the funny girl maybe not great casting option (laughs) situation but you know it's (laughs) at least we were thoughtful of the fact that she's trying you know yeah Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you have lots of thoughts on this. Well, you know, I have friends in the show and I, I, I don't want to knock anyone for, for putting out live theater, but it is literally that role in Barbara Streisand. Like, what yeah. are you doing? But anyways, yes. we wish, I wish her the best. Um, yes, we, this is what I'm saying. We, we, we understand that there's probably, you know, there's a million things, a million things going on. Yeah. So I, I, I really, really enjoyed this Allie interview was and I was a rock star. Yeah, she's she's a rock star. She's she's I think we're definitely going to hear a lot about her in the future. I mean, a lot of good things coming out of that. All right, y'all. Well, per usual, had an amazing time. Me too. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend, Todd. I love you. You too. Okay, bye.